Hello and welcome to the third series of the Igniting Change podcast. It's a different and more challenging world in which we find ourselves this time around, so we wanted to reflect the challenges of just surviving in the COVID-19 era and what the Black Lives Matter movement has meant to some of our First Nations people. Igniting Change hasn't stopped working to make this period easier for those doing it tough, nor will it. Yes, we're all in this together, but for some, making it to the other side is just the start of the battle. Today I'm talking with Margaret Thorpe, who is the manager at the Sacred Heart Community in St Kilda, Melbourne. Hi, Margaret. Hello, Celia. What is the Sacred Heart Community? It's a a residential facility for for people who've experienced homelessness, mental illness, you know, they currently live with and, and often experience trauma along with that. You can imagine living as a homeless person that it would not be easy to be out there. How do they adapt to living under a roof? in a bed with people around? It's a big move. So uh, when people come and meet with me, I always say to them, uh, you can come in uh, and give us a try. Just come and give us a try. See what you think. Um, If you don't like it, you can leave. That sense of of giving people an opportunity to to make up their own minds about something and make decisions for themselves because that's what they've been doing all their lives. I haven't had anyone choose to leave, which has been wonderful. You know, I always say, give us uh, at least three months to see how you feel. And uh, generally people settle really, really well. I, I'm always amazed. It's, a, it's quite a big facility. Uh, at the moment, we have 74 beds filled, but it's going to be a 97-bed 90, facility. So lots of people living together. Um, so I, I find it incredible how they adapt. Would many of them have spent time in institutions previously and would that make them reluctant to be somewhere where they thought that they couldn't leave? Many of them spent their early adult life, I suppose, and some even younger in institutions. Some I have a few people living here at the moment who, who've been in institutions all their lives. In and out of boarding houses and places like that where it's unsafe, and not particularly comfortable often. So yes, they, they have they have had horrible experiences with institutionalization. Yeah. So we're all going through this pandemic and this extremely strange and unsettling time. How are the residents adapting to that? Yeah, it's a challenging environment to live and work in at the moment. Uh, there's no doubt. Uh, lots and lots of negativity around aged care and, and that, that sort of environment. I meet with the residents every week at least just to catch up, but every day anyway, I walk around and just check in and see how people are going. Generally, they're doing doing well. They're an incredible uh, bunch of people. They know about change. They know about difficulty. They know about things that aren't easy to live with. And so it's a matter of just saying, okay, well, here we are with this now and we'll, we'll make the changes. So I think generally we're all in it together and that feeling of being in it together. So the model that I have here is a really uh, a resident driven model. So every decision that's made here, I, I run it past residence before it's made. Or if it's something that has to be made, then I meet with them and say, well, this is what, why are we doing this? And I think that that makes it easy. It's not just something that's imposed. What sort of anxieties do you have in particular during this pandemic? They might not realise it, but what sorts of things have you been concerned about? The fact that our people continue to access the community, of course, um, 
is always a concern and they access the community in the same way as we access the community you know in our daily lives with the pandemic it would be nice to just uh, shut the front door and say right we're all going to stay in here cozy together yeah. and be safe yeah. um, <laughs> and i know that some places some nursing homes are able to do that however we we certainly not uh, able to do that people continue to live their lives the way we live our lives in the community so I, I worry about that. I worry about the virus coming into the facility, just like any, any facility manager at this time. You know, it's a day at a time. We'll, we'll manage it a day at a time. I know that the Sacred Heart Mission in general relies a lot on people giving the money and on philanthropy. Is there an effect on the way people give or the amount people are prepared to give or do they forget to give when they themselves are in a situation of high risk as we are at the moment? I think that we haven't been able to do the fundraising events or hold fundraising events as we normally do. Some of our op shops have closed down. Obviously, things have been um, difficult for Sacred Heart, but no, our, our supporters are always there. They'll always find another way to give. It's extraordinary. So that when we haven't ha- been able to hold an event, the people that would normally have attended that event have donated. People are extraordinary amazingly generous. Margaret, how have you found yourself in this position? You've been there for more than 15 years. What prepared you? What built you up to be able to manage this interesting and, and trying position? It's an amazing position, actually. It's, just, it's brought me lots of happiness. Lots of positive things have happened here. I am constantly amazed by and in awe of the people that, that live here, which gives me huge hope. Yeah, I grew up in Zimbabwe in Rhodesia at the time, um, through the Civil War, I nursed. and um, You're a nurse. I am a nurse. Ah, <laughs> so there's there's uh, one key factor yeah. <laughs> in the way that you care. <laughs> lots of resilience, lots of resilience, which I gained in that experience, uh, nursing through the Civil War. A lot of it not, not so pleasant and easy. And so when I left and came to Australia, I then just travelled and worked and changed my job quite often as I travelled around Australia. I spent the first 10 years just traveling around Australia and, and working. It's a great part of being a nurse, isn't it? It's very flexible. Yep. That's why I was allowed into Australia because I was a nurse. So yep. I was very lucky. We're very lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I just, you know, I built up a lot of resilience as a young nurse. We had a lot of responsibility in Zimbabwe during that period and then went to um, Aboriginal communities here in Australia, of course. Most often we didn't have doctors in the communities. We, we managed ourselves. So yes, you just learn to to get on and do. I feel that um, Sacred Heart community, I have gathered all that experience together and here I find myself at the end of my career, which was meant to end a few... few uh, <laughs> <laughs> I came here with the thought of retiring. Um, ah. That was was actually eight years ago, I think, nine years ago, not, not okay. 15. But, um, <laughs> that didn't work. <laughs> I was caught. <laughs> I think that if you're, if you're passionate about what you do and you're still enjoying it, I think retirement's a strange kind of concept. Absolutely. I, I'm older than most of the people that live here now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Margaret, I was not going to ask, and I and I certainly want you to never ask a lady her age, but I think that, as you said, that wealth of experience holds you in very good stead to manage all sorts of events in your life and at the community. Probably the issues that you encountered in the Northern Territory were probably a lot more confronting than what you're seeing now. I think different. I think people who live here in this facility have experienced, you know, very difficult lives before they arrive here in a similar way to to people that are living in the communities and the difficulties that they often face 
so different, but the same really in lots of ways. But I guess the sense of calm and safety and security that the residents there now have must be very gratifying to witness. A home for life. And, and that's what we offer, a home for life. So come and live here and you never have to move again, which is a very safe, warm feeling. And I know that that's what the residents comment on a lot if they're, they're interviewed. That's what they say. It's a home for life. Yeah. And it's lovely to be able to offer that. You know, it's such a gratifying thing. That's my reward. <laughs> Margaret, just going back to the time that you did spend in the Northern Territory and the connections that you made with the Indigenous people, what were your thoughts and feelings during that big issue of this year, which has been the Black Lives Matter movement? I absolutely felt it was timely. I used to drive around the communities from one um, little area to another. I had the most glorious experience, may I say. It was really a wonderful experience. I met some extraordinary women and people and did some lovely work up there with Strong Woman, Strong Baby programs. But I did wonder about the future of, of, of people living in that, those environments. And so with, with Black Lives Matter coming up again and the government constantly reviewing what it's done in a very slow way, I think that we just need to keep pushing forward. I don't lose hope. <laughs> I don't lose hope, but it's very slow, isn't it? Can you think of any solutions, anything that the governments can enact quickly to make some positive change? I think it's our responsibility. I think it's the responsibility of the people. I think we just need to keep on talking about, you know, what matters. When I arrived in Australia, I was very, very, and all those years ago, it was a long time ago now, and I was very surprised at the, the racist attitudes of people in, in Australia. It, it, you know, we were very criticised in, in Zimbabwe at the time, and I arrived out here expecting it to be different, and I didn't think it was particularly different. I thought it was almost the same. It was just more silent. Has that got better or worse, do you think? I think it depends on where you are. I think, you know, as I travel through Australia, it depends on, on where you are. I think there's some pockets of extreme um, racist uh, attitudes in Australia still. And quite often out of sight. It's in these smaller little towns and things around Australia. I think we talk bravely about it in, in Melbourne. I'm not sure whether many of us talk with any knowledge. You know, we all just stand up and say something, but whether it's actually enacted is, a, is the thing that concerns me. It's troubling. Margaret, do you have a waiting list for the facility? We've just built this amazing new facility. So I do have some empty beds at the moment, which is great. And it's been great at this time because I've, I've been able to support um, people, older people who are struggling in, in some of those uh, community housing units. And they're finding it quite tough out there at the moment. So I've been able to support them on some respite beds and things like that. But I do, I have some beds and I'm, I'm really excited about filling them when all this is over. But it's a beautiful new facility. So when it is over, I invite people to come and have a look because it really is lovely. Margaret, what would you say to people also who might run into one or two of your residents walking around St Kilda? I think a lot of people may be frightened. What would you say? Yes, it's an interesting thing. People are, are afraid. I would say, what do I say to the staff that come and work here? We look at the person. Don't look at the suitcase they're carrying. Mm -hmm. Look at the person. Look for the person. And I have some a, a really lovely story about a woman who used to live here. She has since died. She came to us via the doctor's surgery up the road. And the doctor had said to me, she's really struggling at, in, in her accommodation, her current accommodation. 
perhaps you'd like to meet her. And I met this amazing, huge woman, huge in personality, you know, massive red hair. And she was quite unwell at the time, uh, mentally unwell. And she was sick with other comorbidities, as often our people are. And we were walking down the street together because I had invited her to come and have lunch with us. I thought maybe she, if she came and had lunch a few times, she would get the feeling. Um, so we were walking down Gray Street together and I saw someone from the mission coming up towards me and I thought, oh my goodness, that, that person's going to stop and say hello and how's, how's our friend going to respond so we stopped and I met the Sacred Heart mission person and I said hello I'd like you to meet a friend of mine this is Wendy and as we walked down the street together Wendy turned to me and she said to me um you are going to be my friend aren't you Margaret you know uh extraordinary experience and she came to live with us and you know produce some wonderful art which you can probably see on the wall behind me the tree of life you can see there I see she painted the tree of life and and wrote a beautiful poem to go with that that's the sort of experience I have and what I say to people is is look for that person yeah not the label that's right Margaret how do you fill up your cup how do you recharge I wow (laughs) (laughs) I think I you know, I, I laugh easily. <laughs> the people around me give me lots to laugh about and, and fill me with joy. And I think that that sustains me. There are other things that I do in my life. Walking is a big thing. You know, I love nature. I love being outdoors. When I can travel, it's always the, the thought of going back to the Australian desert because I love the Australian desert. So, I mean, that's how I've always recharged. Uh, and of course, I have my friends. But the people here make me laugh. You know, we laugh a lot here. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is lovely to hear, Margaret. It's so lovely and, and heartwarming. And, and I wish you every joy and success continuing into your non-retirement. And, <laughs> and I thank you greatly for joining us today on the Igniting Change podcast. It's been an honour and a pleasure to talk talk with you. Thank you, Celia. It has been my pleasure too. Thank you. That's it for this Igniting Change podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to press subscribe to ensure you don't miss future episodes. Thanks for listening. And remember, see the person, not the label.